Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. There hasn't been a whole lot to laugh about in British policing for quite a few years now. This podcast is all about what it was really like to be in the British police for the last 30 years. In the podcast, I'll talk about all the different jobs that I did, and I'll interview people who also did some really interesting things. I'll give you my thoughts about what's been going on recently in the news to help you understand how it all works. Spoiler alert, it's not like it is on the telly. This podcast is the real deal. I'm going to be discussing some quite disturbing things from time to time, so listener caution is advised. There may also be a bit of swearing, so best to keep the kids out of the room. Everything I say and have written comes out of a place of great love for British policing. You may not agree with it all, and that's okay. But all I ask is that you listen with an open mind, and if you go away feeling that you know a bit more about what policing is really all about, and perhaps have a bit more empathy for police officers, then I've succeeded. So, here we go. Stuart, um, I'm absolutely delighted to have you on the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. You're you're something of a, a hero of mine, actually. Um, I remember reading your books when they first came out um, some years ago. Um, so it's really, really just such a pleasure to meet you, albeit, you know, via Zoom. Um, uh, and you're obviously on the other side of the world. Um, but uh, but yeah, so just for the benefit of everybody listening, do you want to just sort of briefly introduce yourself? Yep, my name's Stuart Davidson. And uh, the reason I'm on this podcast is because many years ago, I wrote a book called Wasting Police Time. And uh, yeah, I was a policeman at the time and I'm still a policeman now. So, uh, yeah. Brilliant. So so just to um, add a bit of sort of context to to that, um, at the time, uh, this is sort of, so correct me if I'm wrong in any of the chronology here, this is sort of the mid-2000s-ish, mid sort of 2005-ish, is that sort of around that sort of I time? So. I, I, I joined the police in 2003, at the beginning of 2003. Okay, I'm with. And when did you write book, the book? I think the book came out in 2007. Right, okay. So, so yeah, so the book was basically lifting the lid uh, on the a lot of the nonsense that was going on in UK policing at that time. It was very, very popular, uh, talked about by a lot of police officers as well as members of the public, got quite a lot of sort of press and media attention at the time. So, yeah, so we'll come on to talk about that in a little bit, but... First of all, do you want to just sort of describe um, your police, uh, the background to you, sort of um, when you joined, um, what age you were, what year that was, what you've already said, what year it was, you know, where you worked and all that kind of stuff. So, so I suppose I'm talking in the UK and then we can come on and talk about Canada later, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, I had, I, had no, I had no wish to join the police. I was always interested in, uh, in policing, I suppose, but uh, purely, purely from an interesting interested point of view i was actually working in a car factory in before i joined the police and uh, i spent many years in the car factory and and i can't now remember why on earth i decided to join the police other than <laughs> was it like a, was, was it like a bet or something was it like a dare <laughs> it, might, it might as well have been i was just interested in it and i thought well this is quite interesting and uh, i uh, i must have got the forms and uh, and i did the tests which were i thought remarkably easy and uh, came up with a few stories I think you had to put down a few stories on the forms about you and it, things that you'd done that were amazing and sure enough I did that I got interviewed and uh, and I got the job and I worked right. I remember I was in the factory and I had this job and I worked up until fr I finished on Friday at the factory and then Monday morning I was at police headquarters okay and uh, and that was Staffordshire is that right that's right yes yes so just for those who are listening who have no idea kind of the geography of, of all of this, um, so Staffordshire is sort of slap bang in the middle of uh, England, isn't it? Um, pretty much, la well, not pretty much landlocked, it is landlocked. And it sort of borders to the north and sort of west with Birmingham, I suppose, with the West Midlands. So I was a West Midlands officer for the last 
I suppose, 15 years of my career. So we were kind of near neighbours at the time, I suppose. So I transferred to the West Midlands in 2002. So, so yes, yeah, so we, we would have, I don't suppose we our paths ever crossed, really. But you <laughs> I don't think we would have met. I was dealing with... You, would, <laughs> you wouldn't have been a million probably, miles away. You were, you were probably dealing with rather more significant events. Well, uh, I don't know about that, but uh, I, was in, <laughs> I was in Coventry. I think we were all dealing with... A lot of old, you know, don't get me wrong, we all dealt with a lot of ser- serious stuff as well, didn't we? But yeah, there was an awful lot of crap that we had to deal with and, and probably still do. So, so yeah, so um, so where did you get posted to initially? Well, now, because nowadays when people join, when people join, they get a good, I like to think that, I think they get a good sort of rounding. They get sent to different departments for a few weeks or, you know, traffic here and then they get to sent to CID or they get sent to the neighbourhood um people or whatever but when I joined you were straight on a response team so I went to I did my training which I was a few months at Wrighton which was a residential course you get home every weekend and that was a few months and then I got sent to the response team at Burton-upon-Trent okay which so, uh, um, big makers of beer isn't there? there's like beer, of brewing there. Yeah, beer marmite <laughs> and as it turned out heroin heroin <laughs> one of the largest <laughs> A large, uh, yeah, large place for uh, for heroin consumption, which uh, subsequently okay. consumed many years of my career. <laughs> okay, not the heroin Good. consumption, but the yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, so you're on a spot response team, and is that kind of pretty much where you stayed in the sort of early years of your career? Yeah, uh, one all, all my time, all my time was was uh, so I did uh, before leaving. I did I did five years. So I only did I only did five years in in staffs, and uh, it was all. It was all uh, all response policing. I mean, I okay. you know I had a, a couple of other crimes that led me to yeah. work with CIA. Which, which I've got to say, um, you know, having done that myself at different ranks, I did it as a PC in London. I did it as a sergeant in Coventry, and then I did it later on as an inspector in Birmingham. I've got to say, out of all of the things that I did in policing, including even all the sexy stuff around counterterrorism and everything i actually enjoyed that side of policing um almost i wouldn't say what was my favorite my favorite job was probably being on the surveillance team but actually response policing i i really really enjoyed it i thought it was great fun uh full of full of just craziness and um bizarre stuff and if you've got that sort of slightly quirky way of looking at the world it's just full of um weirdness isn't it it is it is and that's just the people who you work with (laughs) <laughs> the actual customers that you the actual members of the public that you end up dealing with and i think it they are they are very very weird people think that it's just sensible people calling the police because they've had their house broken into but most of the people who call the police are incredibly strange for a number of reasons i mean most of them are most most of them it has to be said are in, either insane or intoxicated but they nevertheless have a very once you can get them out of that initial phase of intoxication they do have a very interesting story to tell some of them yeah, and i mean yeah, that's why yeah. you keep coming back because you meet these people and they have just completely different lives they have led yeah. just completely different lives from you i mean i've that's had right. a very conventional upbringing but then you meet people who are just who've just yeah. led a life which is yeah. completely bizarre and yeah. they're always interesting to talk to that's one of the best yeah. things about the job is meeting people who are different to you and have an interesting story to tell yeah, yeah. And I think, to be fair, you know, there's an awful lot of people who do call the police, as you know, who are genuine victims of crime, a genuine crime. So they've had their house burgled or their car broken into or whatever. And, you know, um, they, they are people like, you know, my mum or my brother or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I would say an awful lot of people who call the police, particularly the repeat callers, lead very dysfunctional lives, don't they? Yes, they do. They do. And that's uh, But, you know, who else are they going to call? <laughs> I mean, who else is open after five o'clock on a Friday, really? Who is free? It's just the police. That's right, yeah. And well, uh, yeah, I, but you know, good for them. I, yeah. I mean, you would have more of a more of a more to say than that. I was simply responding to their calls time and again. So you know, it makes yeah. no difference to me whether they call once or ten times. You know, you eventually get yeah. to know them a while. For, after a while, you get to know them, and you get to know their problems. And uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so you've been on response team for some time. Uh, at what point? If there was a point, did you decide to start writing? And for that matter, did you start? Did, was it your intention to write a book, or did you just sort of start 
kind of putting down your kind of musings, I suppose. On, yeah. on... I, I, I don't know if you, if you can remember back then. So there was, do you remember Internet 2.0 in, in the mid 2000s? Because there, was in, there wasn't there Internet 1, which was just a disaster. And then, right. then Internet 2.0 was, was where they thought they would get content, sensible content from ordinary people. And, and part of that, when, when Blogger software came out, so right. blogger software came out. I and mean, what that meant was that you could then, <laughs> you could uh, say whatever you liked on the internet. And it was a very simple, you didn't have to create a website or anything like that. You could, you could use the blogger software to put up what, so I thought, well, this is interesting. And then you could upload pictures in a very simple way. And I thought that was interesting. Were you, were you a bit of a techie? Uh, not, not in any major way, but I've, I've always been, I've always liked writing and re reading and writing, but um, right. yeah. And so I thought, well, this would be an interesting way of, of writing about my backyard and I, my garden and my gardening. So I could put pictures of the garden and that sort of thing. And then I thought, oh, you know, what? I just got back in from work. I'll write something about work. Well, that took off, you see, right. quite, quite by accident. There's and stuff... did you call yourself, because um, your pseudonym your, um, was PC David Copperfield, yes. wasn't it? So did you call yourself PC David Copperfield right from the start? Do you know, I can't remember. But the reason I chose it was because one of the uh, Dickens characters was a was a clerk in a large uh, legal uh, legal firm. And I thought, well, that's a very apt name. Right. Uh, so okay. I chose that. But anyway, yeah, so I, I just started writing about the garden and then I started by accident writing about policing. And then um, that took off then. So it was just okay. a complete accident. I was started writing about policing. And uh, the thing that I was writing about policing, I mean, you, the, the police, the police that you read about, they're, they're rescuing hostages aren't they? They're, mm -hmm. they're finding serial killers. And here am yes, I. Jump, ju jumping from railway carriage to railway carriage. Exactly, yeah. yes. They're doing, they're doing all that sort of thing. And here am I trying to investigate dog bites or, <laughs> or arguments over Facebook or, or that sort of thing. You know? And so I was writing about that, never thinking for a moment anybody would be remotely interested in what I was saying. Yeah, and the, yeah. I could continue doing this forever and nobody would ever, nobody would ever look at it again. Yeah. But obviously it generated something of a following, didn't it? It did. It did. And uh, I can remember, I think I've been doing it for some months. And then I went into work one morning and somebody showed me a double page spread in the Daily Mail where they'd lifted the entire <laughs> contents of my blog. And there it was. <laughs> there it was. And I was so... on the phone at the time. I was on the phone at the time. And this guy shoved this newspaper under my nose and said, is this you? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And there, okay. So was there, in, there had, had you told had you so this is interesting how no. they hold the whole sort of anonymity issue. Um did you sort of confide in anyone at that time in those very early days that you were writing stuff? No. I, I knew from day one, having experience of the police, mm -hmm. <laughs> I knew not rule number one, never tell another living soul. And I didn't. Right. Okay. Well, that must have been quite tricky. So so that was kind of basically put to you sort of pretty in a pretty straightforward way by your colleague um what what do you think made him or her think that it was you um i i can't remember there was a phrase there was a phrase or something that i had said which appeared as a, like a byline on this on this double page spread and he recognized right. it or attributed okay. it to me and i said well okay. no and I, plus, plus the fact i was on the phone so i was able to brush him off yeah. a little bit but okay. it did so you did leave me so basically uh so you basically blanked it right from the right from the off, yeah. and and then presumably then it was very much a case of you keeping stum. Did you take anyone into your confidence about it? No, no, okay. not until not until the book would deal the deal was signed and I was uh, I'd practically okay. bought the uh, plane ticket. Okay, and how did you feel whenever you saw that Daily Mail article for the first time? I thought I should have got some money for that. Surely to God, I should have got some money for that. <laughs> they well, you can, surely they can't well, you steal can. all my writing for free, put it out in the newspaper. <laughs> did you um, did you feel uh, concerned and worried about it yes. in any way? Yes, I, I was worried. I thought, oh, no. In old no, money, you shut, you shut yourself, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did. I thought, oh, God. And then, but I... it. Over time, you sort of kind of get used to living this double life. You know, on the right. one hand, you're writing this stuff, and uh, and on the other hand, you're you're kind of going into work every day. So nice. uh, yeah, and then of course and, uh, the thing was on my days off, I was dealing with after a after a, a short time after that, 
I was dealing with a number of different um, different publishers. Right. Okay. So given that you were doing this anonymously, but then that then morphed into the idea of a book rather than a blog, um, how did you broker those sort of deals with publishers? Did they, because obviously it's not like they could just ring you up, Stuart Davidson up and say, Stuart, would you like to, you know, we'd like to publish your book. So how did that all happen? How did you broker those conversations? Well, I had an email on the, on the blog. I had an email contact and they emailed me. And then quite simply, I kind of went down to London and, uh, and uh, spoke to them. So that was, right, was okay. straightforward. And then, yeah, I ended up signing up with, with one, uh, with one publisher. Right. Okay. And um, so when the, when the book was published, it, it obviously generated a lot of attention, didn't it? Mm. Um, and it became something of a, of a bestseller didn't it at the time it's got many hundreds of five-star reviews on amazon and yeah um so wasting police time um and and it was kind of around the same time that inspector gadget wrote his book didn't he yeah there was this kind of there was a lot of this going on wasn't there there was a lot of um people getting really exasperated with the way policing was going um and i believe inspector gadget is still um anonymous so to speak yes yes um, um so did you this is an interesting question did you have any contact with inspector gadget yeah we met for lunch once we had we had lunch. did you yeah we had lunch with <laughs> my you... we had lunch with my editor yes <laughs> did you tell each other your real names uh, yes but i have actually fortunately forgotten his real name <laughs> so that's so that's good yeah, he's a very nice he's a very nice guy yeah 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 he's, uh, he's very um, much more of a he's much more about uh, much more of a sort of um well, you can tell he's an inspector in the sense that, uh, you know, he's sort of naturally. Sorry, Dory, uh, I'm, not trying to get you to, I'm not trying to get you to, I'm not trying to get you to, to, to item or anything like that. But, oh, no, um, no. So yeah, the Inspector Gadget book um, was called Perverting the Course of Justice. And, and like your book, Stuart, it was, it was also something of a bestseller, wasn't it? So, so really interesting that you two kind of hooked up, so to speak. Um, yeah. And, uh, and discussed your, respective challenges so um tell me about the challenges of maintaining your anonymity how did that feel it felt after a while you get used to it but it is kind of it is strange because uh you know you're going to work every day and at the same lots of people talking about the book were they um not so much you'd be surprised i don't think uh most people, you, you, it's, it's, it's what you do. Uh, because I'm basically having two jobs at this time, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm trying to write the blog and do the book and uh, speak yeah. to these other people and everything. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that you've got to do on your days off. So it was quite, it's hard work more than anything else. And I had right. my, uh, my separate phone and everything. So right, yeah, okay. it, was, it was, it was hard work and like, the pressure like was being undercover. Quite... Sorry. It's almost like being undercover. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes but no it was it was it was a challenging it was a challenging time and of course um i was also thinking about leaving and uh and i didn't want right. anything to uh anything to come between me and and getting out yeah 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 so so again just to you know i'm kind of making a, a sort of i'm treating people as if they understand what the book was about i mean i'll describe it and you tell me if i'm right or wrong um so it kind of lifted the lid on the sheer um waste of time effort energy and resource that modern policing had suddenly not suddenly but gradually over a period of time um so much of what we used to do in policing had been overtaken by stuff that was just a complete waste of time um in in many ways now others might say that we were dealing with people who were very vulnerable um, and, and we needed to be sort of involved in their lives to some extent in order to stop things escalating or, you know, into much more serious things. But the reality is, as you know, and as I know from having done this job, um, there's an awful lot of time wasters who call the police uh, on the 999 system with either um, kind of extremely trivial issues um, or issues that are sort of, you know, self-generated in many ways, things that they just, they've created a load of drama 
within their lives with their neighbors or with the bloke down the pub or with the bloke from the corner shop or whatever mm. and then because they can't sort their own lives out they instantly default to mm. the police to sort yeah. it all out which basically means that the police became too busy dealing with rubbish to be able to focus on the very important stuff the the, the serious and organized crime the, the serious sort of sexual exploitation or whatever is that is that a fair summary of, yes, of the book i think so i and i i think you're right in the sense that when what you say when you when you point out that many of these people do have problems and they call the police and i have never in and i've been response i've been a res, in, on response now for not i'm not actually on response now but for 16 years and I have never once ever minded going to anybody who's ever called the police for any reason. Never. And I think, you know, mm. whatever you've called the police for, it's not my choice whether you've called the police and it's not my decision to go or not go. If I go, I'm going to go. If I'm told to go, I'll go. The issue is always the amount of work that you then have to do to move on mm. before you can move on to the next incident. And that was... That was, in, especially in the UK in the early, in the 2000s, that was insane. There was mm -hmm. just an insane amount of work to do. And I'll give you an example, an, an example of, of sort of tragedy and, and this sort of thing. So we uh, had a, a heroin overdose. A guy, a guy dies of a heroin overdose, which is tragic, which mm -hmm. is tragic. And he lived with his mum and he caused no end of problems for her and everything. And, and, and so he, he subsequently died and... And I can remember he, he caused problems and he was responsible. He was the suspect in a couple of crimes of no significance, really. And uh, I can remember when I heard his name on the radio, uh, I actually went to um, a couple of lockers because each, each officer had their crimes in their locker, the paperwork relating to their crimes, which they kept in their locker. And I knew that he was the suspect in a couple of crimes. And I also knew, because of the Home Office counting rules, that I could get solved crimes if I filed those crimes with his death. Mm. So in response to this tragedy of a heroin overdose, I, as a response officer, was going to different files of paperwork attempting to file detective's crimes for this dead guy. Yeah, I know. That's the level... That's the level of insanity that it was reached. And furthermore, yeah. furthermore, when I, actually, when I actually thought, oh, I'll go and get, these, get this paperwork, I found somebody, another officer, had got there before me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, when it was, I was having this conversation with an ex-colleague the other day on the podcast um, about the uh, unbelievable performance culture around that time. So, so it was broadly, as you know, about um, detecting crime mm -hmm. or reducing or reducing crime, so there was all sorts of strokes being pulled, um, you know, in order to um, push the numbers of detected crimes up mm. and bring the numbers of reported crimes down. Yeah. Um, um, by kind of almost fair means of or file, mm. and and then eventually, obviously, the Home Office kind of you know got sick of forces kind of doing you know jumping through all these ridiculous hoops to kind of you know achieve these targets um because it was it had become like a cottage industry hadn't it oh completely time, yeah you know? and i had i had completely to my shame <laughs> i had completely embraced the, the the target culture i i could tell you i could tell you how to detect and i i think i'm pretty sure i detected a dog bite at one time hmm. and i could also the things that you used to do in um there was always the uh the drunken disorderly, the, the the Friday night fights. You could always get two or three detective crimes out of a bit of a out of a fight, and uh, you could always encourage a counter allegation to get two mm. crimes detected out of one. And there was <laughs> there was no yeah. that I I had I always played by the rules. I always played mm, by yeah, the rules. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I could uh, I could get anything detected at any time. Yeah. Cannabis yeah. warnings, the, harassment warnings. I yeah. I gave a harassment warning to somebody for walking past a house once. Hmm. Completely legitimate. 
Yeah, yeah, no, and and that's the thing, isn't it? It drove it drove all sorts of weird behaviour, didn't it? That performance culture at that time drove all sorts of very strange behaviour. I mean, that, and I mean when of... you think about it, when you think about it, there's a woman who's called the police because she's concerned to see her ex partner walking by the house. Well, that's a genuine concern. I mean, I don't know anything yeah. about this guy, but you know, maybe he does need to be spoken to, whatever. But clearly, the most mm. important thing is not me getting a tick in the box for harassment warning for a guy walking past his ha- past our house. That's yeah. not the most clearly the most important thing. For a, for a woman whose son has just died of a heroin overdose, the most important thing is not me filing the paperwork correctly according to the Home Office counting rules. That is not the most important thing. But at the time, yeah. it was. Yeah, 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 oh, I know. Well, and the thing is, it wasn't just you, Stuart. It was virtually every police officer in the country because the culture, that you know, the expectation on the part of chief constables and their command teams and every senior officer yes. across pretty much every force in the country. That was that was the name of the game, wasn't it? So anyway, moving moving on from that a little bit, at what point did the did you sort of were you did you out yourself or were you outed by someone else? Um I remember this and the, there's a couple of things that I really the best things about writing the book, apart from being able to pay my mortgage, the the best two best things were about the book were the fact that during the writing of it and the stuff that I did for the, for the, for the media afterwards, I was able to meet a lot of people that I would not have, you know, journalists and politicians and that sort of thing, people that I would not normally meet. And that was really interesting meeting those people and, and talking to them and, and getting their take on things. Cause it's very different from my take as a, as a response officer at the very bottom, seeing their, mm. seeing how they see things. And the, the really the best thing was I can remember I got this, I'd signed the deal. The book was there. And I said, and one, I can remember working nights and I said to the guys just towards the end of the night shift and I, I got everyone together in the uh, empty CID office down the corridor. And uh, this was my, my team then. And I said, just so you know, you know, this whole um, uh, wasting police time and the, the blog and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard about that. We read that sometimes. It's me. Oh, shit. And everyone was so, everyone was so pleased. <laughs> Everyone the thing so is, Stuart, I, the thing is, Stuart, I actually feel a bit sick even listening to you say that because I just know how you must. Oh, well, I suspect you know how you must have been feeling at the time. Did you? Was that a relief for you to tell? Yeah, them? yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, it was a relief for me because um, I actually spoke to my sergeant first the day before. I said to my sergeant, I said, um, and I, I, I went round to his house on the day, uh, the day, uh, the day, and I said, uh, I've got something to tell you, and he says. You've murdered your wife, haven't you? <laughs> I said, no, no. Typical, typical police humor. And I and I so I gave him all the all, everything, and he said, "Oh my god, this is amazing." And then I told the guys, and they were really they were really pleased as well. And I think that's the best thing is the people that you work, the people that you're closest to, are happy with what you've written. Yeah, but I don't suppose people further up the management tree felt like that, did they? I don't know. I. I I, I don't know. Did you, did you get? Did you? Did, did anybody kind of give you uh, a hard time about it? No, not not as I recall. No, I, um, most people were most people were amused by it, and I think that's what I wanted to do. At the end of the day, we, we talk about the 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 things that the, the waste of time, the waste of resources, and 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 we talk about you know the changes of, about policing. At the end of the day, I'd written a funny book about the police. Right. Okay. And I wanted so you didn't, people to. So nobody kind of grabbed you and said, "Right, you're really in the shit." No, no. I mean, I would have been. I'm sure if I'd have st- stuck around, I probably would have been. But um, coward that I am, I <laughs> rat leaving a sinking ship. Um, so you. So hold on. Let's just pause there on that one. So you had you had already intimated that you were leaving. Is that correct? Yeah. Because that's, that's different, isn't it? Because it's very different to say I've written this book, and I'm and I'm just going to carry on writing. And oh, I'm no. going to stay here in Staffordshire Police, and and if you don't like it, well, that's just tough, isn't it? Oh no, no, I'm not that. No, I I, I saw that a mile off. I I made sure that I was I had my my alternative employment was already right. Yes. Okay. Yes. So because because call me old fashioned, there's no way that you know an organisation at that time, or or this time for that matter, would would be happy with someone doing that, is there? No, no, God, no, you'd be out. I think they'd find it. I mean, I don't think I'd done anything illegal or, or getting worthy of getting fired, but I think they would have found a way to get rid of me, no question. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. 
So, 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 okay. So you'd already decided you're going to leave, and, and is that is that um, policing in Canada when you say that? Yes. Yeah. So I, okay. um, by the time, I think it was a kind of a race between getting the deal signed and getting the book out, and then me um, getting the job overseas. Okay. So, so there was no time that where you literally got kind of hauled in front of someone. No. Of, of senior rank and said. What the no. hell do you think you're doing? No, I just think really? I like to think somebody did call me and say, "Oh, just so you know, there's people think this is you." And um, mm -hmm. I said, "Well, I, I I don't know." And so I think the <laughs> I think the because uh, it's the police after all they are supposed to be investigators. <laughs> um, yeah. But so I think it was just a matter of time before they figured it out. But fortunately, it was just a matter of time before um, I was. Uh, yeah. Well, I would probably, I'd probably put it into the category of embarrassing rather than, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to struggle. I'm no, I'm no expert on police, dis, police sort of misconduct issues yeah. particularly. But you know, I'm, I'm, I think it's probably one of those ones that would be, it would fall into a yeah. category of, you know, bringing the job into disrepute or something. I, like I that. think the, the advantage I had was that it wasn't a specific force that I was talking about, so yeah. there was no pressure on any particular force to figure out right. who I was. I was just some right. nuisance who was talking about forces generally and I couldn't yeah, be yeah, anywhere, yeah. really. Yeah, 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 okay. So, okay, so you decide to leave and you um, pack your bags and off you go to Canada. Um, so what taught me through the decision around going to Canada? Why Canada? <laughs> Again, I, it seems to be a pattern in my life, but I, don't, I, don't, I tend not to have a master plan of anything. I mean, everything I've done, has just been a complete accident. So I've always been interested. In, again, I've always been interested in travel. That seems rather general. But I have, um, I've been on, when I go abroad, um, I, I've been on ride-alongs with a number of different police departments abroad. And I was a member of the International Police Association. So I've always been interested in abroad. You see, this um, is what interests me. Guess what interests me about you um, is that you, well, there's lots of things interest me about you, but you pretend kind of not to be that interested in policing, but you clearly are, aren't you? The fact that you felt so passionate about what was happening that you wrote this bloody blog and then the book, and then you sort of slightly pretend that you're not really that bothered about policing. But but by the way, I'm a member of the International Policing Association. Yeah. You know, there's well, a, that, don't think there's a, yeah. there's a bit of a there's a bit of a sort there of is, a, yes. a kind of a, an irony or a paradox there, isn't there? Yes, there is. I was interested because I I wanted to go. I, I, yeah, I was in. I, I think there's a some people have an interest in things, and other people have a sort of campaigning sort of campaigning view where they try and change things. I've never really been interested in changing anything, but I have. You know, I have. I'm always interested in. Anyway, anyway, so I, I was interested in uh, in uh, going abroad and I was interested in these ride-alongs that I did and interested in things, how things worked outside. I, I, I found a lot of policing in the UK. A lot of police officers in the UK were of the opinion that nothing could ever be done better than the way they were doing it right now. You know oh God, I haven't, well, I haven't met too many of them, but anyway, you know I'll take I mean? your there, word for that. But there are people who, who think, you know, this, how we're doing things in Staffordshire Police is the greatest ever. And nobody right. could be possibly be any better than we are. And I thought, yeah, that can't be right. That can't be right. Anyway, uh, Police Review. Do you remember Police Review? I don't know if you can get it. Still. I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Police Review had, they used to, back in the mid-2000s, they were advertising for Australia, Caribbean, I think, Cayman Islands. Oh yeah, there's some all sorts of uh, sexy places you could go and be yeah. a police officer, wasn't there? Yeah. So I and and sure enough, my current police department advertised in Police Review, and um, you had to scrape together. You could go to London for this briefing, and they they told you what it was like, and then you had to scrape together in cash something like seventy Canadian dollars <laughs> to do the test. You had to. They wanted seventy <laughs> Canadian dollars in cash off you, so you could sit the test. What's that about four pounds fifty? Is it? Well, is it? <laughs> it was about. It was quite. It was. Was it twenty bucks? Twenty. It was about twenty quid. Maybe it was more. I can't right. remember. Anyway, okay. it was enough to make you think. Oh God, I've got to go to the bank and find some Canadian dollars, because okay. back then uh, you didn't have the option of of transferring money electronically. Well, you probably did. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so I went back the next day, sat the test, and sure enough, I passed. Right. Okay. But I had so... no idea. 
I I had no idea that this would because at the time there were lots of other police departments advertising, and I was right. felt sure that there would be some reason why I couldn't join. There would be some yeah. some reason why I didn't have enough experience, too much experience. Not I don't know, but yeah. uh, sure enough, um, yeah, I was then invited over to do the rest of the tests in Canada. Okay. So you are now a, and have been since then, a police officer in which force? Edmonton. Edmonton, okay. So just for, for my benefit, as much as anything, because my geography is shocking, um, just describe where that is roughly. What sort of size of area? So Edmonton is a city of a million people. It's in the province of Alberta, which is in the prairies in the, west of, in the western side of, of Canada. Um, it's north of Calgary. Right. Okay. And south of the North Pole, I guess. Okay. Um, and it's on is it the. Is it is it really cold in the winter? It's pretty cold in the winter. It gets to kind of minus thirty, I guess. Gosh. And then in the summer, like now, it's much plus. It can get to plus thirty in the summer. Okay. So pretty extreme weather. Sort yes. Of, um... Yes. Okay. So talk talk me about uh, tell me about arriving in Canada and and sort of joining the Canadian Police. How did that feel? Did it feel really weird? It did feel weird. Well, I knew what was coming. So I knew that you'd, we would be going straight back to um, straight back to straight training school again, do it, <clears throat> doing that all again. Fortunately, at the time, they offered this deal whereby you got um, you became a permanent resident straight away in two weeks rather than two years. And that enabled you to then join the police and then undergo um, the training portion of it. OK. So, and yeah. were there any other Brits um, yeah. joining with you? Yeah, there was, I think, in a, in a class of 50, I think there were maybe four other Brits. All, oh, right, okay. so all of it, experienced police officers, yeah. So there's a class of 50, and, and presumably the others are brand new, squeaky clean off the streets, never been police yes. officers before, is that uh, right? Yeah, pretty much, yes, yes. Okay, so I suppose from a policing point of view, albeit from a Canadian law point of view, from a policing point of view, we're already pretty experienced. So you had a bit of, you had a bit of an advantage over the other classmates, I suppose. Um, yes, I. Uh, it, well, I mean, youth is always an advantage, of course, and they yeah. were much younger than me, so <laughs> good for all them. Right for all the all the physical stuff. Yes, yes, but uh, it turns out that the physical stuff doesn't matter a whole lot. Um, but right. yeah, I mean, it wasn't too much of a bother for me. I mean, right. Okay. Yeah. So when you completed your training, was it training? How long was the training for? 16 weeks sounds about right Four. okay. Four months. Yeah. The basic cl in class training was, 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 I think 16 weeks. So maybe it was more, but it was about, it was about four months anyway. Okay. And was it in terms of all the legislation and everything, was it all completely different or is it based on English law? It's based on English law. This, I mean, the thing is if you police in, Policing in any modern democratic society is going to be pretty much the same. I mean, you're going to have to come up with a reason to arrest somebody. You're not going to be able to hold them for too long. Um, you're, there's going to be restrictions on your powers of search and seizure. So broadly speaking, the legislation is, is fairly similar. It's a little bit like being an electrician and then going mm. to a different country to be an electrician. The principles of electricity yeah. remain the same wherever you go. Yeah. The wires uh, are just, a different colour. It's just the wires are a different colour, yeah. Yeah, and oh, that's okay. that's where you are, yeah. But, Interesting. Yeah, the, but the processes are a lot more straightforward here. Okay. So when you went to your first, where was your first operational posting? Uh, my Canada? first operational posting was in uh, just in one of the uh, territorial divisions. So the forces okay. divided into uh, a number of different divisions in southeast, southwest. Okay. You know, you and and I was. And, in, and was that sort of quite? Uh, was that sort of uh, rural or semi-rural? Well, no, urban. It's an urban, uh, urban environment. So it's much. It, oh, right, it's okay. like, it's like the UK, but much less densely populated. Right. Okay. So, give us your initial impressions of policing in Canada um, versus policing in England when you first started. Uh, my my first my initial impression is that. The processes in in Canada are much simpler. So right. if you want to arrest somebody, you just go and arrest them, and then you bring right. them in and you put them in a. You, you basically you bring them in and you put them in a cell. You type up your report and you either take them to jail or you let them go. That is it. Really? Oh God! And you compare um, that with a with the English system 
it's just incredible. So, so for those who are listening who don't really understand how it works in, in England, um, the process of arresting someone, even for a very minor offence, is really very convoluted, isn't it, in many ways? So mm. you've got to obviously um, carry out an invest. You've got to receive an allegation. You've got to carry out an investigation. You've got to secure, secure and preserve relevant evidence. And there's all sorts of procedures around how you do that. Um, and then you've got to um, have reasonable grounds to arrest them. And there's also now a necessity test for arrest. Um, and then once you've arrested them, they then have to you know, be brought to a custody block where they're given all sorts. They have a very, very, very comprehensive um, you know, rights and entitlements when, whilst they're in custody. Uh, they're entitled to see a solicitor. Um, then they have to be interviewed. Uh, they've got the right to to make no comment to every single question put to them, which is what happens in probably 95% of criminal interviews. Uh, and then there's a decision made as to whether they're going to be released on bail, whether they're going to be charged or whether they're going to be remanded in custody, depending on the seriousness of the offence. So all in all, I think it's fair to say that even a relatively straightforward matter of shop theft could take... Uh, uh, one or two officers off the street for probably the best part of an entire tour of duty. Is that, is that about right? That would be fair. Yes. Yes. That would be fair. Yeah. 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 So, so compare so, so, so a shop theft in Canada, describe that, that, the, how they would deal with that in Canada. Well, I mean, you've got the initial, you've got the initial allegation. You've got the statement from the person who's seen them steal the uh, meat <laughs> okay. um, or the electric toothbrushes or whatever. Yeah. the flavor of the month so they steal it uh, they're apprehended by the uh, the lpo or the what do you call them the store detective i guess i, I, I yeah I, okay yeah yeah, yeah. 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 and then uh, we show up and we say you sir are under arrest and then we bring them in and we put them in a cell and we type up our report which refer which will summarize what the um, the uh, guy the witnesses have seen what we've seen the time of our arrest and um the value of the items stolen and uh, when when we've done all that we will uh, fingerprint them we'll photograph them and either charge them to court or if they're really serious if they're really bad we will take them straight to jail and the judge can decide whether to so do, do they not presumably they must get interviewed they not even get interviewed Rare, for, for something like shop shop theft we're not really because one of the subtle differences here is that you have an absolute right to silence so right. um you the caution in the caution in the UK is you don't have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you don't mm. mention when questioned something mm. which you like later on in court. Whereas in Canada, it's um, it's been so long since I've read it, I can't remember what it is. But anyway, <laughs> no, <laughs> but anyway, you basically you don't have to say anything. Right. Okay. So so you can keep you don't have to say anything to the police, and it won't harm you if you don't say anything. Then it it, it won't harm your defence. So the other thing is, of course, we don't have solicitors in the police station. Right. So when you get arrested, you get a, you can use the phone to call a lawyer or your mum. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, they call their mums. But anyway, if in the unlikely event that they do call a lawyer, a lawyer will, I don't stand to be corrected, but a lawyer will usually very sensibly advise them not to talk to the police. So right. with that in mind, and with a case of something as relatively trivial as shop theft, why would you waste time interviewing them? Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, you know, whilst it, it's just one of those things that kind of it's it's done in, in the UK because, you know, I'm not saying every single person who gets arrested for a very trivial offence gets gets it interviewed on tape and all of that because some mm. of the very, very trivial offences, it can just be a contemporaneous interview on the street, can't it? Mm. Um, and then they can sign that to say, do they agree or not or whatever. But typically for most offences, yeah. they, 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 they are interviewed on tape, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So the whole process in terms of time for a fairly trivial offence, how long would that be before you were back out in the streets? Excluding travelling time, probably um, two or three hours, depending on the amount of stuff they've stolen, assuming they haven't got a load of warrants and there aren't any other complexities and uh, they've got somewhere okay. to, to be released to. It the, yeah. you could be. I mean, it takes as long as it takes to fingerprint them, really, fingerprint and photograph yeah. them and the administration. Right. Okay. So, so really, I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of, as a bit of a ballpark figure here, but probably probably around half the time that it would take in the UK, I suspect. Oh, easily, yes. I mean, you could you could probably get you could probably get a couple done before lunch, really. Really, gosh. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what are the other differences? What were the other main sort of differences that you? Uh, the main. So the main difference is uh, we don't have stop and search. 
right? And how do you mean you don't have stop and search? Well, we can't search people. You can't stop and search people? No. Really? Wow, that's interesting. So how does that how does that work then? So if you've got someone who you've got someone who's acting suspiciously, who's known to you from intelligence, for example, as someone who mm. is a drug dealer and they're behaving like a drug dealer and you strongly believe they are in possession of drugs, mm. how would you deal with that situation then? Uh, well, you, you unless you've got so unless you find the drugs, um, then you 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 there's not much you can do. Right. Okay. Wow. That's what that. That's very soon. I mean, it's. I must admit, the whole issue of stop and search, as you know, in the UK, has become so unbelievably contentious. Um, and I, and I, hearing police officers regularly say on social media that they just can't be doing with it anymore because mm. it's just too much hassle. They get they get too many complaints. Particularly, the younger officers are very scared of putting their hands in people's pockets um, because they just don't want to get into trouble. Yeah, uh, and, and then that becomes even more difficult if they're working in a, an area where there's a large number of young black men, for example, because they, as well as it being a contentious issue, then they don't want to be accused of being racist. So, so yeah, the whole issue of stop and search in the UK has been and still is extremely contentious. Um, I mean, do you do you find? that the fact that you can't stop and search people, is that a major barrier to your ability to prevent crime? It's, it's hard to say. I, another difference is, of course, that we have a lot less crime than you do, generally. Right. I mean, I, and, I make, and I have no idea why that might be. It could be any number of factors. But we have a lot less street crime, a lot less violent crime than you do in the UK. So right. whether or not we stop people, we stop whether or not we... we we can't stop and search people. I don't know whether it makes a whole lot of difference. We seem to find a fair amount of contraband, drugs and guns, even without stop and search, you know, people driving stolen cars and, and that sort of thing. Right. But Presumably you can still search a car, can't you? No, not unless you're, you arresting, the, not unless you're arresting the driver, not really. Really? I mean, if oh you've got God. a reason to arrest the driver, they've got some warrants or maybe you can. But, but generally, no, you can't just stop a vehicle or, a, a, or an individual and, and, and search them. Because we have the Canadian Charter of, and, and and funnily enough, nobody would ever dream if you. I've I've suggested to people that in England you can stop and search people for basically because you suspect they've got drugs on them, and people are amazed. Even police officers are amazed. You can do this. Well, I'm amazed that you can't. You know, <laughs> and and to be and in fact, right across North America, you can't do it. You know, people are really you know, people. I mean, under the U.S. Well, Constitution and indeed under the Canadian Charter of Human Rights, you are not allowed to to stop and search people without arresting them. Once you've arrested them, you can, I mean, so if you find somebody with a small amount of drugs on them, you can arrest them, yeah. see them dealing drugs, you can arrest them for dealing drugs, and then you can search them, what they call incident to arrest, and then you can yeah, yeah, get the gun yeah. and the drugs and so on. But in terms I mean, of- I think the whole, I mean, I don't want to go down the ra a rabbit hole on stop and search, but you know, for, for me, um, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, the conversion rate of say, if you do a hundred, the police do a hundred stops and searches, they typically only find something illegal on a very small number of occasions. Let's for one of argument, call it somewhere between five and 10%. I don't even know what that figure yeah. is, but um, the, the point for me is that that's not the point of stop and search to necessarily always expect to find something. It's to try and suppress the remaining um, 95% criminality so if you've got a particular issue with violent knife gangs stabbing each other in a particular geogra geography during a particular period of time mm. if the police are out there stopping and searching them then there's a there's a message that goes out amongst them saying don't carry a knife because the police are out here yeah um we funny enough we don't actually have stop and search but we do have um i think do you still have stop and account are you yes, yes yes so we have stop an account so you can a police officer can still stop anybody they like and ask them if they're behaving suspiciously what their name yeah. is and, and obtain some description of their clothing they can't necessarily search them but but nevertheless they can ask them or try and persuade them to account for their movements or their 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 presence in a particular area but even that in the province i stand to be corrected but in the province of ontario that has gone by the board so they're not even allowed to do that anymore Really, wow. So you really, it really is just a reactive, sir, a reactive process where you get called for, by someone and you go somewhere and you, you know, 
arrest someone or whatever. I thought you'd say, I, 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 I thought you would say that, but strangely enough, no. And I'll tell you, and I'll so tell how you, can you be, how can you be proactive if you're not allowed to stop? If you're not allowed to stop and search someone, you're not allowed to stop and search even a vehicle. How on earth can you be proactive? Well, I've, I've found when I was responsible policing in the UK, we were so overwhelmed with the number of incidents that we were responding to. I don't think I was ever proactive for more than about half an hour. Yeah. But, but the way things work over here is because those incidents that you do attend, you can deal with fairly quickly. That does leave you a large amount of time to to be proactive and that time combined with the mobile it that we have and that ability to to look at a vehicle to run the license plate and then gather a, a gather a large amount of intelligence enables you to uh to be proactive in a way that i was never able to be proactive before and what combined with the support that you get as a at the at that patrol level if you have an idea for a proactive project or any, indeed any kind of project, mm. if you've got an idea, then mm. the management will assist you in, in achieving that. So okay. although we don't have that stop and search legislation, nevertheless, mm -hmm. I, found, I found myself in, in a patrol role here, able to do a lot more proactive work than I, than I ever could before. Okay. And in terms of um, the kind of general attitude by from members of the public or the sort of our typical customers, let's say our typical customers, because as you know, you know, it's the 80-20 principle, isn't it? 80% of police time is dealt, is spent dealing with, um, you know, the, the same customers kind of again and again, isn't it? You know, mm. and the 20% the twenty tend to be victims of crime, don't they? Yes, so, yeah. So in terms of that 80% of people who are the ne'er do, let's call them the ne'er do wells, yeah. Mm. Um, what? How do they? Do, how do? What's their sort of general attitude towards the police in in your experience? Because in England, and as you know, uh, it's just complete contempt. You know, I mean, police are treated, generally speaking, with complete yeah. zero zero respect, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I uh, that was a shock to me. It was actually. A couple of things that were a shock to me. The first, when I arrested, I can remember arresting somebody and then uh, being asked by a supervisor, well, what do you want to do with them? And I remember standing there stunned for several seconds thinking, well, what do you mean? Does not somebody else make the decision about what happens now? Why do I have to make the decision? I was completely unable, uh, not used to these making these decisions. Anyway, the other thing, uh, the other thing is I found was that people are so nice. Yeah. Well, even the criminals, even even the even the criminals. And I, I, I don't know why that is, but even the, there, is, there aren't the nuisance use was a big thing in the UK. Do you remember nuisance? I remember. Oh, yeah. Yob, we used to in Coventry, we called it yobs, yobbing. So on the on the on the radio, you get, can you please go to one, two, three, Acacia Avenue and deal with an allegation of yobs, yobbing, which yeah. is antisocial behavior, I, I, I was, general, general ASB, wasn't it? Yeah, I was driving. I, I hadn't been in the police long. I was driving past a, past a bus station here in Canada and I, I saw some youths standing next to it. Obviously, you know, coming from England, I assume they were just just about to smash the place to smithereens and i so i said to them i said what are you what are you doing and they said well we're just waiting for the bus <laughs> oh good good yeah carry on waiting carry on with that waiting for the bus that's good but no people are so nice and i i don't know why that is um it could be that we carry all we all carry guns but i think it's more like i think public drunkenness has a big deal to do with it people simply do not drink as much as they do in england i mean in england yeah every sort of Thursday to Sunday, it seemed like everybody was drunk. Everybody was yeah. drunk. Whereas in Canada, people have got other things to do. They just don't drink as much. I mean, I'm sure really? that's got something to do with it. Gosh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And um, yeah, obviously during COVID, obviously it's been slightly different, hasn't it? Um, but but yeah, let's put putting COVID period aside. Yeah, there's a lot of drink related violence and just general mm general mayhem in every town and village and city uh, in the UK, isn't there, on a yeah. Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday night, typically, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so, um, so, so in terms of the gun thing, did, did that, I mean, are there many sort of occasions where Canadian police officers have to actually draw their weapon and, and, and use it or, or, or at least sort of, you know, present it? I, yeah, there's a, there are. There are. I mean, in, there's fairly strict training and uh, there's a lot of training and 
the rules around where you're where you're really allowed to are are strict and and one only does it in in certain specific circumstances and did but, you find that a strange experience kind of having to carry a gun all the time no not really it took me about two days to get used to it i, I kind of forgot about it it was right. yeah it was and it's uh, it is good that you've got it I'm, i haven't yeah obviously like anybody i've drawn it a few times but it's good to it's good to know it's there it doesn't stop you doing any of the things that you would do in the UK. It doesn't stop you, yeah. you know, going to any of the calls that you would normally go to. So it's not a barrier sort of no. in terms of communication or no. anything like that. No, and of course people see people never see any police officer without a gun. So yeah. 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 So what's your what's your job at the moment? What are you doing at the moment? I work in a um job where I s- provide investigative support for major crime. Okay. So what does that actually mean in practical terms? Um, well, I if, it, if it's covert stuff, you don't need to talk. You don't need to talk about it. Um, no, I, but if it, it's it's not. It can. It, it's an, a number of. It's uh, yeah. I don't want to say exactly, but it's a number of yeah, no. kind of technical okay, things fine. that I do. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. For, for yeah, that's fine. Significant or for, for significant investigations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Um, I'm really happy with that. And and in terms of your bosses in Canada, when you landed. Did anybody ever sort of say to you, oh, I hear you wrote a book back in England? <laughs> Periodically, I think I get Googled. I, I, for, I've only ever been in, I haven't really tra- moved around a lot within the organisation, um, but people do occasionally say, and, uh, oh, did you, you, I, you wrote a book, didn't you? And occasionally it comes up, yes. And people always joke, oh, I didn't buy your right. book, I borrowed it off somebody. That's the gag, they always do. I never, <laughs> I said, well, why don't you buy your own copy? Christmas is coming, you know? Buy your own copy. Don't borrow it off people. Just buy your own copy. You can still get it. So that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and did anybody at a management level ever say to you, you know, I hope you're not going to write a book about the police in Canada or anything like that? <laughs> no, no. It's been a while. You forget. It's It's been it's been so long and so much yeah. water under the bridge. But I don't, I think I was fortunate. I said fortunate. I think I was just working at a time in the UK where... Mm. A number of factors came together, which meant that I ended yeah. up writing this book. And I don't think the factors really exist mm. here. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason to. No. Yeah, and and it's fair to say you wrote a second book, didn't you? Or you at least sort of, I suppose, were involved in in the second book, wasting war police time. But that that book was more about. In fact, I've even got it here. Look, just to show you. Look, there it is. Yes. It is. Yes. Um, wasting war police time, which was just to sort of demonstrate, I suppose, that it wasn't just you as a kind of like a bit of a loose cannon, mm. um, kind of making it all up, Yeah, that, that you you interviewed um, dozens, I'm, I'm assuming you interviewed them, uh, dozens of other police officers from all over the country who, who provided, uh, corroborated that what you were saying was absolutely correct. Yeah, from um, a number of different pr- perspectives, yeah providing their own kind of version i suppose so when did you write that book was that after you had left england uh, that was yes after i left england so it was more so it's more of a that's more of a curated sort of yes um, that was book, done with it? my editor right okay excellent yeah. so just curious I'm, I'm curious how this uh, did, did, did you make much money from the book books um, should yeah, i say I did okay i can tell you what right. i'm glad i'm not a writer by trade i'm glad i got a proper job it's a hard way to make money. Yeah. Oh God, can you imagine? And mm. and just having to constantly try to promote yourself. I mean, I, I I wrote the book and I really enjoyed writing it and I enjoyed everything that came along with it, in terms mm. of going out and doing doing the interviews and meeting people. But I would not like to do that all the time. But I did okay. Yeah. You know, I, I I paid the mortgage. I went on a nice holiday. Mm. Bought the wife a mm. nice pair of shoes. <laughs> uh, bought a pair, bought some, bought a jacket for myself, you know. And I, yeah, so, but, but you're, you're you're not going to you're not going to go and sail off into the side of France on your yacht or anything like that. No, I'm not that uh, I'm not that clever. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Stuart, um, it's just a bit. Of, it's about an hour now, so I'm just conscious of, of your time. Oh, don't worry and, about it. Um, and I, I don't want to overextend my welcome, so to speak. But um, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you it's been fascinating there's been so many questions i'm sure as soon as i come off this call with you i'm sure there'll be lots of other things i think no oh, we should ask them this or we should ask them that but um but no it's really really kind of you to to agree to speak to me um and i i wish you the very best uh in your sort of for the rest of your career and you know your life in canada and there's a lot in terms of just generally life in canada is that good Yes, yes, we've uh, fully embraced the uh, Canadian lifestyle. I've got a couple of houses and a truck, and uh, yeah. Nice.
Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm a mad keen fisherman, you see, so that's probably my idea of heaven, oh, okay. really, with all all of those amazing lakes and rivers everywhere. So, yes. um, yeah, but listen, I'll leave I'll leave you to get on with the rest of your your day. It's uh, probably about ten o'clock in the morning there, and it's uh, five o'clock in the evening here. So, um, so yeah, listen, thanks a million, and um, look forward to you know if I'm in your neck of the woods, I'll look you up and uh, we can have a beer. Yes, definitely. Or take me shooting and uh, you know whatever, and do whatever. <laughs> manly people do out there you know <laughs> yeah, we'll have to find a barn door we can actually hit <laughs> <laughs> i'll make sure i've got the biggest brightest orange jacket on so I don't get you'll need it yes <laughs> all right mate listen it's been an absolute joy and uh thanks ever so much indeed all right thanks a lot no problem He was often in our street We used to smile and wave at him While walking on his beat But now we never see him It really makes us frown No longer do we feel that we're the safest street in town oh. <laughs>